Welcome to the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. We tell the stories of the pioneers and innovators building businesses in hemp across the U.S. It just so happens that they're ecologically way better for the planet. And it just so happens they're made out of hemp. Our products are scalable, they're healthy, and they're performance products. And, and if we can help this, you know, this, this hemp industry also, then, then that's, that's, that's wonderful. If you've ever considered using something other than drywall for your renovation or new build, our next guest is looking to disrupt the construction industry with a replacement that can be grown, composted, and used to make buildings energy efficient and healthy. Tom Robinson of Adaptivate had an epiphany many years ago to do just that while traveling along the west coast of the United States and hasn't looked back. They're based in England, but looking for opportunities to break into the North American market. And I'm co-host Cameron McIntosh, and this is the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. Before we launch into our episode, let's take a moment for our sponsor, Hempicator. Hempicator is the largest internet directory for industrial hemp with over 1,600 listings in 39 categories, plus hemp-related news, events, and jobs. If you are looking for hemp-related products, services, or resources, check out Hempicator at hempicator.com. Welcome to the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. You're the first uh, international uh, interview. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, my name is uh, Tom Robinson. I am the founder and managing director of a company called Adaptivate. Uh, and Adaptivate, we are based in uh, today, sunny, uh, sunny UK. Um, so, you know, this is the, also the first interview that I've done with our new, uh, flouncy haired prime minister. So it's all, it's all, it's all going on at the moment. Sure is. <laughs> so, so tell us about Adaptivate. Yeah, cool. So we, we, um, we basically, um, develop biocomposite materials for the construction sector. And we're really leading in, in developing um, mainstream um, products that can be drop-in alternatives made on large-scale industrial processes that really start to deal with some of the kind of resource security and carbon um, you know issues that we're having um, and we we develop products that can be uh, beneficial in, in terms of eco ecologically and socially uh, economically profitable um, to make but also have a massive uplift in, in performance um, so that's that's really what Adaptivate does um, we intend to be leaders in, in fibrous composites in the construction sector, basically. And so what inspired you, Tom, to, to create this company? Um, you know, what was the impetus behind setting up Adaptivate? Well, I, um, I'm a sort of uh, a hippie in disguise, really, as a, as a businessman nowadays. But um, really, I was, a, I was a kind of traveling dirtbag about six or seven, seven or eight years ago um, in your neck of the woods, actually, in, in, on the west coast of the US and west coast of Canada and um, living in vans and surfing and climbing and, and I kind of, um, you know, just earning enough money to kind of get by. And at that time, um, I didn't really want to be part of society, but uh, I read a book uh, by a man called Yvonne Chouinard, uh, who is the founder of Patagonia, a clothing company, who we all know, uh, I'm sure, and, uh, and may have also inspired some of your other listeners to, to take the paths that they do and make the decisions that they do. Um, and I read this book, um, sat out in the Sierra Nevada in California, sort of um, between climbing and whatnot. And, and, and it just really inspired me to um, think of business in a different way. You know, I'm sat there kind of 
not really wanting to get involved in the capitalist structure. Um, and and Yvonne Chouinard, Let My People Go Surfing book, really kind of enabled me to see that business could actually be a force for good. And at that time, I didn't have a vehicle to be able to do that. You know, I was just kind of really impassioned by some of his dirtbag stories and pioneering climbing Yosemite and all that sort of stuff. But then really what he'd done with his business, which was take, you know, a clothing company, which ended, ended up going global, um, you know, from the back of his car to going global um and and really use that as a positive force in in the kind of uh in his customer psyche and behavior aware you know awareness and and behavior change use it as a powerful tool for behavior change so then you know i kind of said to myself well when i do find something to do you know this is if i ever do find a vehicle to be able to make this happen and then I'm, you know, this has really inspired me. So uh, seven or eight years later, um, after studying my masters uh, in sustainable architecture, after being a builder in the back in the UK um, and studying the uh, where I developed the concept for breather board, someone said, "Well, why don't you start a company that does this breather board thing?" And uh, it looks pretty good. Um, and I could see from the industry, having worked in the construction industry for four or five years. Uh, that there was a need for an alternative to drywall or plasterboard, and uh, yeah, Adaptivate was formed. Um, yeah, and that's 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 that was the inspiration behind it, really. So, what what is Breatheboard? So, Breatheboard was is is basically a drop-in alternative to drywall or wallboard. Um, uh, you call drywall over there, we call it plasterboard over here. Um, it's used uh, used and installed in exactly the same way as drywall. So, because I come from a building background, um, having used the board on site and having been a plasterer and, and plasterboard installer, um, it was really important to me to design materials that were really easy to use, and and, and there was no kind of reskilling on site. Um, you know, some of the challenges that hempcrete's had as it breaks into the market is it's just a completely different skill set to to what is conventionally seen in the construction sector and there's completely different timings around it. And that's good for, for some people, but in the kind of mainstream chunk of the construction sector, um, you know, that, that, that becomes a bit of a challenge. So, so breatherboard was really intended to be like a, it looks like, it looks like drywall, um, but it performs way better, like in terms of thermal performance, in terms of weight, in terms of, uh, absorbing of pollutants from the air so it's a significant sink of formaldehyde and of course there can be 10 times the pollutants in your living room than there is in a city center uh, just because of the off-gassing of various materials in the in our, in our buildings but breatherboard also breathes the people in the building so it helps reduce problems with moisture and damp and things like this so it's got some really clear in-use performance benefits um you know and that 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 kind of depends on which benefit the different markets or different users kind of resonate with or recognize. And that's what we're currently doing at the moment is matching those benefits or value propositions to different parts of the market or different territories. But also fundamentally, Breederboard was designed to be renewable using plants um, and compostable so that it was completely circular. And that was how, you know, Adaptivate's kind of mantra is positively disrupting material flows in the construction sector. So it's kind of taking, going away from linear material flows, like take, make, waste, and kind of bringing it full circle. Yeah, fantastic. What's it What's it made out of, if you don't mind delving into that a bit? Ooh, lift the kimono. <laughs> um, we've only been going five minutes, guys. Um, <laughs> essentially, what what we, when I, when I was studying at university and I was developing the, the the composites um my university was really into was kind of pioneering in terms of hemp 
use in composites uh, and construction. Um, and, um, and so I sort of initially uh, really was fascinated by the benefits of hemp um, and, 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 and exclusively used hemp in, in the product as in its early stages of development. Um, then, then that was bound together with like a low carbon binder. Um, and then that's sandwiched between two pieces of paper, much like drywall, as you can imagine. Um, and we put some natural additives in there to aid flow, improve set, all these sorts of things. It's all down to kind of material science and, and production, production um, feasibility and, and, and whatnot. So we kind of alter the formulation depending on what the, the required product performance is from, from different markets, because different markets have different product performance uh, requirements and standards. Um, but essentially it's, it's, it's hemp. It was, it was hemp and then this binder and this paper. And then as the time went on, we sort of recognized that there's actually not that much hemp grown in the UK. There's actually not that much hemp grown in, you know, globally. Uh, this was like four or five years ago. And so what we did is a bunch of work about using other fibrous waste streams. So looking at other crops that we could use. And then we've done a whole body of work, which is around using, generally using fibrous waste. So using using agricultural crop waste and byproducts, using crop waste off, waste off maybe um, pulp industry, you know, various things like that, fibrous waste broadly, that we can put into mainstream processes. So we have a load of uh, know-how and IP around uh, fibrous materials broadly and how to deal with them in industrial processes. And then recently, it's interesting now, it's come kind of full circle um, because, because of the, weight, the hemp wave that's going on at the moment, um, we actually provide a really kind of value-added solution into a massive market of construction, you know, wallboard market of, of some of the challenges around uh, hemp waste, you know, industrial hemp waste. So actually, we're really interested now in talking to people in the States and Canada that have, you know, that are growing acres, of, you know, thousands of acres of hemp and, and how we can really work together to make, uh, you know, to add value to that byproduct because that's a really sustainable sustainable crop, sustainable in terms of ecology, ecological, but also sustainable in terms of economic. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it's, what it's made out of. <laughs> did you have any help developing it? Um, you know, who did you work with or did you just kind of, you know, get through it yourself or how that, how that happen? In the early days, it was, um, it was mainly myself and my masters. So I did, I did that and had a professor and, and whatnot and, um, that, that sort of supported me and, and helped me through the maths because that wasn't my strong point. Um, but also was really like font of knowledge. And then, you know, I basically was encouraged about five or six years ago to apply for an entrepreneur um, competition. And having been a builder, you know, I didn't really know one end of a business plan from another. So it was, a, it was an interesting learning curve. But anyhow, I, I ended up kind of, doing all right in this competition and getting a place at Imperial College London, which is really good uh, for research. And uh, it was funded by uh, Climate Kick, which is a European body that funds climate change businesses and, and education. Uh, and I had an 18 month placement uh, at, at Imperial College London. Uh, we did research and, and I got a basically a kind of business degree on the fly, like a, you know, a, a, a rough business degree, um, certainly not no MBA, but um, but it was an, you know, an applied business understanding, which was key for me to be able to actually communicate the, 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 what, what is breathable and, and how does it hang together as a business and, and take it from something that was made on a building site or made in, on a desk, you know, bench top 
and actually communicate it as a business proposition. Um, so that was a real valuable, um, uh, valuable process. And, and subsequently, we've, uh, we've won a few more competitions across Europe. Uh, we've built a team, uh, we raised a bit more finance, and, and, and now we sit here, five or six of us, uh, looking for you know, global partners to commercialize a, a number of products across the, across the world for global territories. Wow, yeah. Great. Are any of these products available? So Nabri the board isn't actually on the market right now. We are, we've basically done all the testing in accordance to the standards. We know what a production facility would look like, um, but we're basically looking for licensed producers um, across the world. So we took a commercial decision uh, about a, a year or two ago, which was basically our company's driven by impact uh, in the construction sector. For us to go out and raise money and build factory one by one would take us absolutely, you know, an age. And what we realized is that there's loads of companies that really have scaled effectively into big industrial process industries like ours actually don't necessarily have to go and build the facility. They just work with, you know, they work with the right partners in the right places to deploy that technology that's suitable for that market. And that's what Adaptivate is aiming to do. Now, that is counterintuitive to the traditional wallboard market um, because that is very vertically integrated um, and that has strengths and that has weaknesses um, but because gypsum which is the main feedstock of plaster of drywall uh, there's a feedstock security issue surrounding that because it's quite its main feedstock is from coal-fired power stations um, what we're aiming to do is provide a solution to that, you know, um, and that's, you know, that, that vertical integration in big industries can be fragile when there's things like feedstock issues. The answer is that Breatherboard is not available to buy right now, but we are pretty close on a couple of fronts, uh, US and Canada being our main interest at the moment, um, about finding production partners, licensed production partners out, out there to produce for that, for that market. When you say producers, uh, do you mean manufacturers? Yeah, so we're, we're looking for people that want to be uh, licensed producers in terms of manufacturing our product. So typically we're looking for production partners that are looking to grow. Um, they're either they're either already offering building products um, in, in their in their in, in their markets and they're looking for companies that have got um, you know, cutting edge R&D and products ready, products ready to go into big markets. And, and that's what Adaptivate can provide. Um, or they're companies that are um, got, a, got a byproduct or a fibrous waste that they're looking to valorize and add value to in a kind of cost effective way. Um, they're, they're the other kind of people that we're looking to speak to. But then thirdly, um, what's really interesting at the moment is that the agricultural industry kind of works in co-ops, we see a lot in uh, particularly North America. Uh, and there's a lot of kind of government-backed kind of co-op arrangements. And we're also interested in playing into that because hemp, uh, particularly if you look at hemp at the moment, other crops aside, the surge that we're seeing in North America is, you know, it's not going to, you know, there's not, this industry is not just going to happen overnight. The industry needs to build together through a value chain, not a supply chain. So by that, I mean like supply chains are normally one directional. Whereas with the hemp industry, we need to build a value chain where the farmer speaks to the processor and the processor speaks to the farmer and the processor speaks to the manufacturer and vice versa. And the manufacturer is constantly learning from the market to understand, you know, what the feedback is from there. So that value chain is a kind of both direction um, flow of information and, and knowledge and, and maybe material um so that's really what we're trying to develop and these co-ops are, are also kind of part of that 
you know, and um, yeah, so it's, it's building product manufacturers that we're trying to add growth to and value to people that have got fibrous wastes uh, that are trying to add value to, and then these more kind of co-op um, groups where, where there's a bunch of, like there's a consortium of companies that are trying to add value and build the industry. Can you describe again, what's the difference between a value chain and a supply chain? I'm, as I said to you before, I was a builder. I'm not, I haven't got an MBA, so this is my take on it. Um, and I'd be interested, I'm sure your listeners have got different takes on it. But in my mind, when I talk, when, when Ron talks about a supply chain, it's normally one directional. Um, and I don't mean the band. Um, it just flows in one direction, you know. It's, it's got nothing to do with them. Uh, but, the, you know, the material flows and the knowledge and, and, and whatever, it's just like, you know, here I've got this thing. You can use this thing. Yeah, I can use that thing. I'll add value to that thing. I sell a thing plus value to the customer. Whereas, and, and that's good when you've got an established industry, I think. But learning um, only really comes from, a, from knowledge being transferred both ways between those, those points in the supply chain. And I think to develop a, a nascent industry, such as we have with the hemp industry and fibrous materials broadly, we need to be looking at how we build the industry. And I think that comes much more from value chains. Um, and by that, I mean, it's a two-way flow of information. You know, the, you know, let's look at case in point, which is the seed, you know, right back from here, like the seed, you know, uh, sellers are saying, well, these strains have worked like this and this is going to work for your climate and your climate's not going to like this strain and if you want this strain then it's going to do this and the farmer's saying okay yeah i understand that and the farmer's saying oh yeah this worked that didn't you know and the processors are saying well we need our hemp like this and we need it like that and it could have this moisture content but there's a there's a constant back and forth of transfer of information and material between those points in the value chain and and that's when it becomes a value chain not a supply chain in my mind interesting and that's what i think is essential at the moment is especially in in America, I think, and, and, and other parts, you know, Europe is probably, it's, it's 10 or 15 years, um, it's had its fingers burnt for 10 or 15 years more, longer, uh, and now they're getting the hang of it, right? We're, we're really starting to understand, and you can see that in the, in the industry, right? the, you know, there's some very successful European companies now, but in, in Amer as America, you know, is on this, on this kind of coming up to this horizon of the hemp industry, um, I think it's essential that this value chain kind of thought you know, kind of psyche is is employed because that will enable us to, to build an industry, not just have a boom crop that then people invest into get burnt and then lose interest in. Um, I think it needs to be sustainable and it needs to be well thought through and it needs to be piloted on a, on a sort of, you know, in a manageable scale so that we learn in bite sizable chunks and then we can go big and that enables us to reach really good scale in like three or five years. So what um, you mentioned earlier that you'd gone through the process of getting breathe board tested and, uh, yep. and all that out. Uh, what, what does that look like in the UK? Uh, specifically, how much would it cost? Um, and have you looked at doing that in the United States? You know, again, knowing that we have very different building code requirements. Yeah. So we've tested to European standard, uh, British, British standard European norm over here. Uh, and currently, um, today, on the 25th of uh, July, we're still in the EU. Um, so all our standards comply, so that's, so that's good. But the, um, essentially, we've tested our product in accordance to that standard, and that standard is the European norm for plasterboard. Now, those standards typically are quite considered quite high, and when we've looked at the ASTM and the Canadian standard, we are compliant with 
the metrics required in their standards. So that enables us to, when we do certify our product in your territory, or our partner certifies the product in the territory, um, for it to be compliant to those standards. But as you understand, certification typically comes as on a product and a, and a process because certificates or certification is normally a uh, con concerns itself with the product and its performance, but also the quality assurance of the process that that product has been made on. And we can see that we're com we will be compliant. But then there's a second question, which is in America, um, our partner may choose to have a, let's just say a harder product. And therefore we can alter the formulation slightly to have a product that is harder, similar formulation uh, tweaks um, on the same process. But then that enables them to have a different product performance to resonate with that part of the market. Um, and that's down to the kind of conversations that we have with our production partners. Because if you go back to the, the start of the conversation, Breatherboard has a whole host of different value propositions that resonate with different parts of the market. And what we do and our kind of value that we add to the kind of relationship here is that we can, we understand those different performance uh, benefits and we understand how they may resonate with the market. And how, what we do is work with our partners in a kind of techno commercial collaboration to understand how those value, value propositions resonate with their market um, and what the go-to-market strategy would be there for. So go into some of those then, Thomas. Um, what, what are some of the different markets and different value propositions that you can see for Breatherboard yeah. as it stands now? Yeah, so, so Breatherboard, I mean, shockingly, Breatherboard might not be termed Breatherboard in, in America because what we can see is that, you know, the board was initially developed for breathability in the European market. Now we have a lot of uh, heritage buildings here that are solid wall, um, and that need to breathe in inverted commas. Um, now, the, the breatherboard trade uh, uh, brand is strong in this market, and breather plaster, our other product, which is an internal plaster, uh, which is currently on the European market, you know, is is being is resonating with that. We can see breathability being a strong value proposition. But the other that might not resonate so so heavily in the U.S. market or the or the Canadian market. But what we can see is like some of the health benefits of our product certainly will resonate with the uh, emerging well standard and and health product declarations that are really coming out in in the in North America. And that's where we can really add value. It might be around weight. You know, we can make a very lightweight product whilst complying to the standards. Now, that's a big issue. You know, repetitive strain injury on site, uh, one-man lifts, these sorts of things, you know, um, is really important in the, in the handling of the product uh, and is only going to get tighter. Or it might be something like, um, you know, the fact that gypsum price is just going to go up or, or the price of drywall is going to go up and it's, you know... Uh, it is, it is increasing because of the cost of gypsum increasing and natural gas increasing and, uh, and you know, and, and actually we can be cost competitive because we're using by, byproducts of, 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 other, of other industries to make a high performing product. Um, you know, these, these, things are, these things are all value propositions that we can add into different markets. Um, you know, and the kind of list goes on, you know, I mean, it could be acoustics for internal partitions. We can, we could have alter the formulation to make an acoustic board that was cost competitive, um, as well as having thermal benefits or, or, or health benefits. But, you know, it was 
was, was an acoustic board for partitions in condos, for instance. And these are the conversations that we have with our production partners to understand where they want to add value in their market and where they see the growth opportunities. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for us, it's like we don't just want to provide one solution. Uh, we have a standard board formulation, which, which complies to all the standards required. But what we understand from partners and having, speaking, having spoken to partners now is that different people have see different gaps in the market in different territories. And, and what we want to do is understand how Adaptivate and those partners can work together to kind of add impact in those, in those gaps. And that's the way that we can really you know, scale and add impact in, 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 a, in a sustainable way. Is the U.S. market ready? For a drywall alternative? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. The U.S. The US market on our analysis um, and looking at the, it, it, in comparison to the global analysis, it, it's, it's got some really unique meta trends that are supporting an alternative to drywall right now. Firstly, there is no real alternative to drywall. Um, so, so firstly, it's a massive market i guess actually it's the first point to, 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 to kind of highlight which is it's just bloody massive right and, and 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 at the moment there doesn't seem to be a insert value proposition here alternative to drywall now there's acoustic board and there's fireboard and there's moisture board right but they all in they all include gypsum they're all gypsum based the main growth interestingly in the drywall market has come from lightweight or in you know, inverted commas eco products um but they all include gypsum and what we're looking at which is where the really interesting space is is like there is no you know inverted commas sustainable alternative to drywall the acoustic boards are very expensive um so there's some interesting trends there that, that enable some you know we're not looking for 10 percent of the market i mean to start off with we're looking at points points of a percent um market share and you can you can have a a, a very uh ecologically impactful and economically uh, valuable business uh, to, to really go and have a look at that market so i think in summary yes but maybe i'm biased <laughs> um uh, but the, there is also a lack of competition and we really do feel like the time is right now for the scale up of a, of a product to enter that market. So you said it's lighter than, than drywall, correct? Mm -hmm. It's uh, performs better. It's healthier. Uh, mm -hmm. Is it, is it going to be cost competitive though with drywall and how quickly can it be cost competitive with drywall? Yeah. If you analyze the uh, cost increases of drywall, this is market, this is market specific, but in some markets, uh, upward could be cost competitive within about three to four years. And what we can, and, that, and that's three to four years from now, that's not three to four years from switching a plant on. Um, bearing in mind a plant would take, you know, anywhere between 12 to 18 months, 12 to 24 months to, to kind of get into action from, from, from engaging in a relationship um, with, with us. Um, so yeah, I mean, like this is definitely going to be cost competitive with, with drywall and drywall alternatives. Firstly, it will be cost competitive with drywall, uh, your kind of performance drywall products. So your moisture boards, your sound boards, your fire boards. We aim to compete in that space uh, and acoustic boards. Um, so that's the space we intend to uh, compete with initially with a view that uh, our prices can come down uh, depending on the, on the uh, production partners uh, strategies. Um, but our, our production costs could come down. 
um, and, uh, and and drywall costs are, are only going one way. So um, yeah, in, in, in sort of three to five years in some markets with a fair wind, but five to seven years in, in the majority of markets, um, this can be if if the if the commercialization strategy uh, is in line with this can actually be cost competitive with the incumbent. That is an interesting strategy, especially that you mentioned. You know your your understanding of the of the current you know supply of gypsum means that it's never going cheaper than it is right now. Correct. That's what the data is suggesting. Wow. Because you know just be, just because gypsum resources are getting harder to get out, so therefore it's a bit more costly to get out. Um, natural gas is is is, uh, is only really increasing in price. Um, I mean, I know you guys do a lot of fracking out there, but it's it's a lot. It's a lot of you know. It's, it is very market specific, but just broadly speaking, um, the price of that product is only going to go one way. And if you look at places like Canada, I mean, some some years it's had a two hundred and seventy three percent price increase. Okay, typically it's it's fifteen percent. But that doesn't take very many years to be cost competitive with breatherboard. Is kind of what I'm saying. And if you can do like what we propose to do is kind of do the earlier adopter. You know, you want to get those people that believe in what you you do and why. You know, they get why you do it, right? And that's that's evident. But but in in that sort of time frame that I've said, that kind of three to five, five to seven years, depending on which market you're in, the tipping point is really that close, uh, or, or the data suggests the tipping point could be that close. Um, and and that then means like how 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 sustainably can we scale operations and again this is not a cookie that's not a cookie cutter response cookie cutter response that is got to be in line with a production partners you know commercialization strategy that's not us prescribing it that's that's us that's was like we would work this go to market strategy and scale strategy out with any production partner um, and how they feel like they should be going to the market um, with the product. So, so it's not a blanket response, if you understand what I'm saying. Go through quickly, you know, you're, you're mentioning natural gas um, and, in you know, talking about how drywall and wallboard and plasterboard are created. So if you wouldn't mind, give us a brief overview of how current wallboard products are being created. Um, how, how are they made? Um, I mean, drywall is typically made on a on a continuous process. It's made from typically made from gypsum, which the which is a mineral. Uh, it's a dehydrated seabed, pretty much, and it's fired at really high temperatures at the front end of the process. It's put into a slurry. It's uh, it's kind of sprayed between two pieces of of paper and is rolled into a long tongue of material that goes through a reaction. It sets. It gives off a load of heat. Um, they cut it. And then they put it in a kiln and they dry it at reasonably high temperatures. And then it's, it goes off, uh, you know, in stacks at the end of that process. There's quite a lot of energy associated with that in both the calcining of the raw material um, and, the, and, the, and the kiln drying or the, the heating of the, of the product in the, in the curing phase. So, uh, and as our process is like low, no heat, um, no pressure and, and uses like, you know, 50 to 70% by volume kind of renewable, annually renewable matter. Um, so there's there's some significant carbon and energy savings to be had there. So our plants are really low, like our production manufacturing plants are really low, uh, low OPEX. So are you able to say that your breatherboard is carbon negative in the same way that, you know, the hempcrete, uh, you know, the well-known, um, you know, application for hemp and building materials now, is it is it similar? Are they, you know, is breatherboard carbon negative? The 
the desktop data certainly strongly suggests and supports that that is the case. However, any life cycle analysis or carbon calculations that are worth really considering are done on a production process in a certain location. And given that we don't have that up and running right now, it's not, I can't say that categorically, but what the data suggests about the material that goes in, how it behaves, and that in comparison to the incumbents in the market, yes, it could be a, it, it suggests that it's a carbon uh, sink. In fact, the binder we use absorbs carbon dioxide throughout its whole life. Um, so it's, you know, similar to hempcrete, right? Um, I just, I can't be any more confident than, I can't be any more um, specific than that for the obvious caveat that we don't have a production site up and running with some hard data that comes off the back of it. But the, the, the reports suggest that that's certainly going to be a carbon, a carbon negative uh, building material, which means it's cool because, you know, like in Holland, we've been, been exhibited as buildings, as material banks. So as, as carbon material banks, like locking carbon into the fabric of the building in a, in a kind of, you know, in a, in a building product that every person in, 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 in the world knows how to use, you know, that's really how you can unlock large scale um, carbon uh, sequestration without people even knowing it. It's just a drywall. It's just a piece of drywall. It's just like locking carbon up as soon as, you know, as, as you're putting on the wall. Um, and then and what we get really excited about then is like where the other technologies that are in other big markets that these, that this is, this is applicable to. I can't say too much about that and what we're working on, but that's where we're, we're focusing our efforts in, in the future. And uh, what are the other similarities to, to hempcrete? Is it, you know, fire, mold, mildew, rot, pest resistant sort of in the same way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially, this is kind of like a, a clever hempcrete that's that's put between two pieces of paper. I see. And and how does that how does that interaction work? Um, you know, is there is there anything to consider? Can you are you more limited in using it in you know like let's say a high humidity environment uh, or let's say like in a bathroom or you know uh, even in a in a climate in a country that's very humid? Yeah, I mean that's where a real big benefit comes because like if you look at hemp and the other fibrous composites we use, they all typically have like high capillarity. They have ca big capillary structure or porous structure, and that enables like large amounts of of water vapor, steam, whatever condensation, uh, water vapor. Um, not free water, not liquid water, but water vapor to be absorbed into the fabric of the building. So breatherboard can act as a set of lungs on the inside of the building, really helping to manage that, that moisture that's created in bathrooms and kitchens and in bedrooms, you know, like four liters overnight submitted by two people typically. An average family emits 14 liters of moisture a day. So and when you're breathing, especially in the heat that we've got in the UK at the moment, <laughs> you're emitting quite a bit of, of water, vapor, water vapor as well. So so yeah, so the, the the product can really help help in that way for sure. And and as you said, it's it's fire fire resistant, pest resistant, all those sorts of things that you said that were in line with hempcrete. That's that's the same. And and the product has the same, you know, it, it would, would have the same performance in terms of structural as as the as the as a drywall would because we're testing in accordance to those standards. Do you just use the herd? Do you use the whole plant? Again, depends on what kind of product you want to make. But uh, let's just go for the standard base baseline product. Um, you would just use basically um, a fine fine herd, um, typically uh, between sort of six mil and, and and two mil. That's like maybe an eighth of an inch and, and half an inch. No, no, a quarter of an inch. Yeah, between quarter and eighth of an inch. Um, the the most of the material is, and we use herd. There's possibly a little bit of fibre in there, depending on the process. 
um, but only short fiber. Um, but yeah, I mean, we use like, uh, again, I'm, I'm going to go metric apologies for, for uh, North American listeners, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, it can be up to three and a half kilos of herd per three or three or three or four kilos of herd per board. So we can use a significant amount of herd in, in our, in our production facility. And that's really what, why we want to talk to people in the hemp industry is because people are growing hemp for CBD. Okay. And it's good value, but it's small percentage, you know, of the plant. And um, the CBD rushes on. I get that it's good, big M and A and investment scene in that. And lots of people are planting, but you know, the herd is around. Well, depending on what strain you, you grow, it's like between seventy and eighty percent of the plant you grow. And what we want to do is work with people to add value to that, and that will give you real sustainable growth as a business. Um, so really, you know, if there's any of your listeners out there that are, are looking, you know, they're kind of scratching their heads, going, "Okay, I'm, I, I don't know what to do with this," you know. Hemp, hemp herd and hemp fiber waste like or byproduct or then then we would be really happy to have a conversation about how we may be able to collaborate um or, or, or put them as you know work with them as as part of their value chain um because that's how we can really kind of create a sustainable you know sustainable industry as i was saying when can we buy uh breathe the board in the u.s look uh we've got a number of conversations with with parties over in north america um that are interested in being exclusive licensed partners and and manufacturers for for territories within the north america but also as north america as a whole those conversations are a little bit slower because it's summer of course but we are we're really keen to talk to people and we're really keen to get a, an agreement over the line um this side of you know this side of uh, of the year um and that would then mean depending on how a, how fast the production partner wants to run could mean you know a production facility up in 12 months we're 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 all is um so we're we're happy to talk to people that are kind of saying i don't know where i'd fit or i've got this idea about how i could do this and you know i'm we're, we're all is on that um so if you could imagine any product made out of hemp what would it be i think from um Tom Robinson, like managing director of Adaptivate, the, the answer is um, is really our focus at Adaptivate is about getting you know large scale fibrous materials into the construction and other, potentially other sectors, and you know that you can imagine lots of different applications for for our materials in 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 the built environment and that's what we really kind of dream about and we focus our r d on and that's where we we bring our value so breather board is, is is heading that up as the kind of um you know big brother product at the moment um but we're working on you know low carbon fibrous concretes we're looking at you know really interesting ways of making things that 3d printing you know um, what else can these fibrous composites be used for? Concrete's a massive carbon emitter. You know, wouldn't it be great if we could find some um, some solutions to that? And that's really where we are focusing our efforts on. But if I was to kind of step outside of like that position, um, there are whichever article you read, 25, 50,000, 100,000, a million uses, whatever the number is of the hemp plant. And I think as a society, if we can harness that as a fuel, um, that could have a really big impact on our CO2 CO2 footprint as well. Um, so that's, that's, they're two areas I get excited about. So how do people reach out to you? I am on, uh, tom at adaptivate.com. That's my email. 
Um, and you can get the spelling of Adaptivate because that sometimes throws a few people, um, I'm sure, from the, the headline of this uh, of the podcast. Um, hoping that you guys spell it right, Drew and Cameron. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so you can reach out to me at Tom at um, And I'm also on, um, we're on Instagram, uh, Adaptivate, um, Facebook, um, and Twitter. Um, and our website is www.adaptivate.com. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time, Thomas. And uh, we're looking forward to to keeping in touch and uh, hopefully possibly using uh, Breathe Board in our own homes and projects here coming up. You know, it's definitely called for. It's the right time and uh, very exciting to hear that, you know, as far as you know, that it's actually going to be competitive. Um, and I love the fact that, you know, as with many hemp products now, um, it, you don't even have to scream it from the rooftops that it's made out of hemp. Uh, it's not a gimmick that it's made out of hemp. It legitimately works better. Um, and I think that that's a very, that in and of itself is a very strong argument. I think, you know, just a, a that's a really good point. And it's a, it's, a, it's a decision we made a few years ago, which was we talk about health and performance in our products. It just so happens that they're ecologically way better for the planet. And it just so happens they're made out of hemp. Um, the hemp industry is going through a transition right now. Um, but you know, as I said, we've come back round to talking about it again. It's what's really key is that our products are scalable, they're healthy and they're performance products. And, and if we can help this, you know, this, this hemp industry also, then, then that's, that's, that's wonderful. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Tom. So please like share and subscribe to the hemp entrepreneur podcast to hear more about people like Tom. We are your weekly source of hemp industry enlightenment, and we look forward to hearing from people who were inspired by what they heard. And if you're listening and a hemp entrepreneur, please reach out and get in touch with us.